Hernan Cortez, the infamous Spanish explorer, was born in 1521 in Medellin, Spain. His parents had wanted him to become an attorney, yet his wanderlust took over in his life. Much to their chagrin, he became that explorer that he so desired to be. He would be the mayor or magistrate of what was Cuba in the early 1500s. And then the call came to go and explore to conquer Mexico. Veracruz uh, Vera was the location in the Gulf of Mexico where he would go. Montezuma was the emperor of the Mayan Empire. They had heard stories about the Spanish, and even Cortez, Montezuma was rumored to say, might have been Quetzalcoatl, the demonic being of one of their gods. Nonetheless, he went in 1519 to take over Veracruz in the hopes of finding the city of gold. They land in Veracruz, and it should be noted that prior to his leaving, there was rumor that he was being called back to not leave on this mission. He knew that were he to return to Cuba, that he might be imprisoned or face death. So he left, landing on the shores of Mexico, facing almost certain mutiny by at least half of the men that were with him. There was approximately 600. He scuttled the ships, preventing any return to Cuba. Now, it is popularly uh, proposed out there nowadays as a business model. They say, don't burn the ships, right? Or burn the ships so you can't turn back. He didn't burn the ships. He sunk them. Of course, burning is very popular for us. It gives that image. But he sunk those ships to prevent him and the men from returning to the land from whence they came. There was no returning for them. They must move forward. And that gives us the title for the message today, that there is no turning back. When we look at the message of the call of Abram, it is no turning back. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, we will learn or see three things, that the call of the Lord is life-changing, that the call of the Lord is potent, that the call of the Lord is a blessing. And then we will find that is the first half of this section that takes us through the first three verses, and then verses 4 through 9, we'll see the clarity and confirmation of that calling. In the first three verses, we will also see three sets of triplets, as it's laid out. Three certain things that we will find in there. Firstly, verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house into the land which I will show you. 
Just a little aside, we know that Abram will have a name change later on that we'll get to, and he will be referred to as Abraham. So if I accidentally say Abraham, we're talking about the same person. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The Lord spoke to Abram. He told him to go, to walk, to leave. It is a major shift in the narrative. If we recall where we came from, everything from the fall of Adam to the line of Shem, if we think about how it was crafted, we get individuals in there that tell us something about, but those individuals seem to be merely place markers to show us how God's redemptive plan is going to occur. And now we have a focus that comes in, and that focus is on the man, Abram. We'd seen about Cain's familial sin. We had seen the flood. We have even witnessed the the building and then to the climbing to the top of Babel. In all those things, it might have been difficult to see the redemptive plan. I certainly can't... It would have been hard for me to be a man on that ark in considering the devastation that was happening outside of the ark to consider that God's redemptive plan was still in play. Yet it was. And then to see the sin of the world in the Tower of Babel, it would certainly have looked like the devil was in charge. Yet God was not done. He scattered those people across the world. The promise was still in play from Genesis 3.15. It has never ceased. And we'll see here it will not fail. And now, that first verse I read is that call to Abram. A pivotal moment in the redemptive plan. A necessary moment in the redemptive plan of God. Notice in that verbal call, it was a call to a man who was a pagan. A man who worshipped other gods. Joshua 24.2 tells us the following. When Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah. We talked about him last week. Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And they served other gods. They did not serve Yahweh at that time. They did not serve the Lord God at that time. They served other gods. We could understand then, as we hear this call of Abram, we could understand that perhaps, and most likely up until that time of the call, that that redemptive plan that God had put into place might have been forgotten or at the very least pushed off into the corners. 
not considered. Because Abram was worshiping other gods along with the rest of his family. Of the very least, it tells us of their lack of belief. Now a little spoiler, before God called you, you were also a pagan. Before God called you into right worship to be found in Christ Jesus, you were like Abram and his family. Because we know that you're either found in Jesus or you're found in the devil. There is no middle ground. There is no a foot in one camp and a foot in the other. You're either all in one camp or all in another. So this son of Terah, Abram, heard the voice of the Lord. The voice of Yahweh had come to him. The voice that he wasn't looking for. It wasn't like he was searching out throughout the land. I hope the Lord talks to me. I hope the Lord comes to me. And many of us can relate to that too. The day that we believed we weren't looking, it happened. This penetrating voice of the Lord that penetrated into the hard heart of Abram, this idol worshiper, and it changed his heart. Right? That hard heart that we see in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Or, what is it, Ezekiel 36, 26, right? That the Lord will change that hard heart. Take the heart of stone and change it into heart of flesh. This is what we see here. This is what we see with Abram. This is what that penetrating voice of God does. This life-changing voice of God does. It was quite clear, first and foremost, he must, and if you look at the levels here, leave the country in which you live. Wherever it is that you're living right now, right? We're way up in Haran, right? We came from Mesopotamia, we came up 500 miles to Haran. You're leaving that country. It's time for you to leave. You must leave this land which you know. You know those weather patterns that you know? You know the streams that you know where they're located at? The wells? You've got to leave all that. You could even say, guess what? I'm not even giving you a map of what it's going to look like where you're going. But you must go from the land that you know to a new country. Everything in that pagan land where you're at, you must leave and put behind. There is... No turning back for you. Not only that country must you leave, it says there in that second part, and not only must you go forth from your country, but you must go forth from your relatives, all your family, all those people that you know that are around there. You must leave them also. You must leave them behind. Whatever you know, the Sunday dinners at grandma's house, you are leaving that. You are putting that behind you. You are going to put your hand to the plow and move forward and not look back. You must go from them. This is my call to you. Remember what I said, the call of the Lord is life changing. This is upheaval in the life, but it is clear for him. All those people that he must leave behind Aunts, uncles, cousins, grandfathers, and grandmothers. 
and probably greats too. He is commanded to leave his blood relatives behind. And then the third part, our first set triplet there, and it says, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Not only must you leave all your relatives, but you've got to leave dad behind too. The person that has had the most influence in your life, you must leave him also. And we could put a little brackets around that and say, because I am your father. I am your true father that is calling you to do this thing. We could perhaps, we could say a couple things here. It is number one, a complete separation from everything that he knows. We could say that that complete separation that occurs there, it looks like this. You must leave your country to go to a new land. You must leave your relatives to go to a new family. You must leave your father's house for your true father, who is Yahweh. There is no turning back on that. This is God creating a new ethnicity. We remember Acts chapter 17, verse 26, that every man is from one blood. That means as we sit across this room, we see everybody, everybody looks different, we are all from that same blood, right? What God is calling Abram to do is a new ethnicity, a new way of living, a new focus. Ethnicity is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as the quality or fact of belonging to a population group or subgroup made up of people who share a common cultural background or descent. God's new country is a kingdom of God. God's new people are a kingdom of people that worship Him. That is what He is doing. And he's saying to make that happen, you got to leave all this behind. All this influence that you had behind, the country, the relatives, your father, are gone. To do this thing that I am going to bring about, the redemptive plan that I am bringing about, that will go through the course of the millennia, this is what you must do. There's no turning back. There's no looking behind and saying, well, I wish. No, that's all gone. The clear instruction has come from the Lord that I am doing this. I am taking you to this new land. You're leaving from Haran, and now you're going to go south. We'll see the towns of Bethel and Ai that are going to show up in Shechem. We're going to see there. We're going to see the Oak of Morah. We're going to see this new country that he's going to. Remember, there are no God worshipers. He's leaving from one pagan country to establish God's kingdom in another pagan land. It says in verse 2 of chapter 12, it says, And I will make you a great nation. This new group of people 
this new group of God worshipers don't read perfect because we're going to see all sorts of mistakes that people are going to make. But this new group of people that will worship me, that will know me as their Lord and their Savior, this is what I'm creating. You leave all this behind and I'm going to make you a great nation. This is God's Word. God's call is potent. It has the ability and power to do exactly what He says it will do. That is what is happening here. I initially had the word effective there, but it's just so soft. It's not effective. You know, effective gives us this idea, well, it'll, 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 it'll happen. No, this is absolutely a word of power that is coming. It says, not that I might do this in some period of time, but I am doing this thing, and you are the means of which I'm doing it. God ordains the means and the ends. And Abram is that man. You must leave all this behind. And my potent calling is I'm going to make you a great nation. The first part of the second triplet. By common ethnicity and belief, this is the nation. I am your father, Abram, and you will be the father to this nation. It's the result of God choosing a barren couple. How could this possibly be? Sarai, whose name will become Sarah, Sarai can't have children. It says later on he's 75 years old. God's word is potent. God's call is potent. I will make you a great nation. Not just a small group of people who will eventually fade out into time, into memory. But I will make you a great nation, a multitude of people. We will find later on as we get in Genesis, like, the, like a nation so great, it's like the sands at the beach. That reminder of Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great and mighty and populous nation. Notice how it has come to pass. We only go forward there to see that God's promise has come to pass. We are blessed to have the word that tells us what happens. Abram is actually living it. We can't imagine what it was like to hear the call, I will make you a great nation, but, but it's just me, my wife who cannot have children, my nephew Lot, and maybe some slaves. We consider Micah chapter 7, verse 20, you will give truth to Jacob and the unchanging love to Abram, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. When God swears, it comes to pass. We see just verses like this, and there are many, many more verses. And we are blessed because we can see that fruition of that promise, of that redemptive line that comes through Abram, which came through the line of Shem. That the promise completed, we see it in Christ Jesus, and 
Abram would not see it in his lifetime. But he trusted in the Lord. And not only does it say, I will make you a great nation in verse 2, but the second part of that particular second triplet is, I will bless you, Abram. And I want you to consider that the simple idea of blessing is not by great wealth, although Abram will have great wealth. But I think it is best to see what blessing looks like and then bring it back to what has been revealed to Abram is to turn to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, what blessing looks like. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? And I'm just seeing something there right now that I had not considered. You know, when the same word that is used there is the uh, Hebrew word halak, is to walk, which is the same word that God used when he spoke to Abram to go, is halak, is to go. The literally, you have. Abram taking a physical walk with the Lord into the new land. And right here in verse 1 it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in walking with the Lord. And his law he meditates on, and God's law he meditates on day and night. He, this man, this man who is blessed by the Lord, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. And yes, I understand that we say I was blessed by X, Y, and Z. But you are only truly blessed when you know the Lord God, when you know Jesus himself. That is the true blessing that you get. That's the blessing that God will give to Abram first is to know the Lord. To hear the Lord speak to him is to know the Lord. And we're going to find out something more fascinating about that a little bit later on in this passage. This blessing, how God is blessing Abram. That recipient as the earthly father in this new nation. And it says, and I will make your name great. The third part of that second triplet. Make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. The name that we, think about this, we remember this name today. I think approximately, I think the numbers are 3,000 years or so in the future. We still remember this name and we look back to this. We look back to this. We can almost say of Romans 8, verse 31, Abram would say this, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? That great name that he is making of Abram, that, great, that, that one who worships the Lord, right? And I will make your name great so that your name shall be a blessing. 
that he will be a blessing to others because what, uh, what God is doing to bring about his redemptive work. He will be that blessing because he is the patriarch of the nation, the nation of Israel. He will be a blessing to others because he is testifying to the living God in the world. He is testifying to the greatness of Yahweh. To a God that can be known. Remember that. That a God can be known. That He can be known. We dive into verse 3, which is the third triplet in the first part. And it is the call of the blessing. Right? So the call of the Lord was life-changing. The call of the Lord is potent. The call of the Lord is a blessing. And the first part there is a blessing to those who bless you. Uh, this is that blessing through the call of Abram for all those who hear the works of the Lord through Abram, who He tells to them, who is a witness to them, so that they too can know the Lord. It is a blessing to all because it is the sign that the redemptive plan of God is at work. It has not failed. It has not smoldered. It will not lose. It will do exactly everything that it is said it will do. That's how it's a blessing. Because God's call gives life. True life. Everyone who is not found by God is found in death. So it is a blessing to find true life. Which means, in the second part there, that the ones who curse you, I will curse. The ones who deny the God that you profess, I will curse them. The ones who come against the Lord's anointed, in this case, I will curse them. Yet, and he closes this particular set of passages. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The end of the third triplet, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you might say to yourself, well, didn't you just say that those who curse him will be cursed? And I said, yep, absolutely. But it says all the families there, so that would almost imply to me that even those that are cursed will be blessed. Well, I would ask a little bit of caution when we use all in the Scripture of how it's, how it's speaking about. I would say that in this passage at the highest level that all the families will be blessed without distinction, not blessing without exception. All types of families will be blessed. Those that follow the Lord... That's without distinction. Even to the Gentiles it will come. But it's not blessing without exception because we know that those who deny the Lord are found as the cursed. We find that in Psalm 5.5 5, that the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Or Psalm 7.11 
God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. We put parentheses beside that and say indignation with the wicked every day. Therefore, because the curse has been lifted for those that follow Yahweh, those that follow the Lord God, the curse will not apply to them any longer for He will pay that price. All who are saved, the ones who are saved in the Old Testament are saved via Jesus just like we are saved. There is no separate salvation in the Old Testament. It is all Jesus. Romans chapter 3 tells us that in the times past that sins were left unpunished so that at the right time they would be laid upon our Savior to save. And then we would also say because those that don't follow Yahweh or perhaps they don't live in a manner and they live in a manner of the world, they have been brought uh, that, that, that those will fall under the curse themselves. They will not be removed from the curse. Those that do not follow Yahweh. We always have to keep that tension in mind. That's why we are called to bring the gospel, the good news, as, De- as Abram is essentially a missionary going in the missions field to proclaim Yahweh, which is what we'll see, to pray, to, to proclaim it to those who are lost and found under the curse. We can, I think, understand how it is a blessing to all the families to hear that word. So we go into the last section of the Scripture, verses 4 through 9, and we would see the clarity and confirmation of that call of Abram. And it begins just like the last section did. That halak in Hebrew, it starts this one too, He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him in verse 4. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Think about that for a second. We take all our stuff. That's what he's saying. We took everything. Uh, It's not like we're going to arrive in this other land and say, man, I forgot the microwave. I've got to go back and get it. It says they took everything with them so that there is nothing binding them to the land they came from. They have left it all behind. These trinkets and baubles that, that, that we bring with us are to prevent us from looking backwards. We are putting our our hand to the plow. I am listening to the Lord, Abram says, and I am taking them with me. And I'm taking my stuff with me too, just in case. I don't want to look longingly at the past. That's a warning to us. As Jim Douglas has taught me in the past, that's why the windshield on your car is so big. And the rearview mirror is so small, you are to keep looking forward and only glance in the rearview mirror. Right? And it says there that they passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak, it could be in your scriptures, the Terabith of Morah. 
Now the Canaanite was, it was then in the land, so they have proceeded south hundreds of miles. They're coming, they're in close to where uh, Jerusalem will be. They have come into a pagan land. They have come to the Oak of Mora. It means the tree of teaching is what it is at. It is a pagan site of worship where they have come to, where the Lord has led them to, out of the land of Haran, and they have proceeded south on the listening to the call of the Lord. They have heard, the, Abram has heard God speak and said, go, and this is where he goes to, and he stops for a moment right here at the Oak of Teaching, a pagan worship site in a pagan land. We notice that by faith he has gone into this land, trusting in God's promises, even though he is one part of a barren couple. He is now right at the place of idolatry in this pagan land. Verse 7 tells us, notice this, don't miss this, the Lord appeared. We have a theophany. God came and Abram could see him. Whatever form that was, he had a he could see God with his eyes. He could see, even probably veiled from his full glory, that Abram could see him. So he had the call verbally, and now he has the confirmation visually with the Lord. He had the call verbally, now he has the confirmation and clarity visually. The Lord appeared to Abram here at this oak of learning, and He said, to your descendants, I will give this land. I'm certain. I want to be careful with my words. I don't want to say something that isn't in the Scripture. But in my mind, that not only hearing from the Lord, but now visually seeing a representation of the Lord there, has to be somewhat shocking. Which means that when he hears to your descendants, I will give this land, there is probably no point in time when Abram says, but Sarai is barren. Barren. Right? More than likely, what we have with this, uh, this, this with the Scripture here is a moment of absolute worship that Abram does and he says because immediately it says so he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him so he built an altar at this pagan site almost we could say planting the flag of this is the Lord's country I have come as a sojourner a missionary into this pagan land and I am planting the flag that says Yahweh is king here Right, right, and starting right where you worship your idols at. He has said that I will, my descendants will have this land. My descendants will have this land. Verse 8 and 9 Then he proceeded from there to the mountain to the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai. On the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Deeper into pagan country, into enemy country, 
he goes. Interesting how it is I have just set up a tent, but I have built an altar. The tent can be moved, but the altar is fixed. The tent can go anywhere. I could pack it up and take with me, but this altar is symbolic of the worship of the Lord. It is another statement of how God's promises to Abram are coming true. He's getting confirmation and clarity of what is happening by that calling. It is without with certainty, the building of the altar, these fixed structures, that there is no turning back for Abram. There is no wishing I could go back to Haran There is just following the Lord. There is just following His lead. Where He says, go, I go, is what Abram is doing. There is no turning back. So the call of the Lord is life-changing. The call of the Lord is potent. And the call of the Lord is a blessing. So what do we do with that? The no turning back. We could be thinking, so what? Interesting history lesson. But what does it mean to me? As a friend of mine says, the so what? If we think about where we started at on this, or the reminder we had, of that call the Lord is changing, that we ourselves are called into a new country, a new land. Now, work with me for a moment. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, to those, to believers, those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Abram was chosen. Every believer that is in this room was chosen by the Lord. Every believer that was in this room was chosen by the Lord. He's talking to aliens there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He's saying, well, hold on a second. It wasn't like they became believers, then he moved them into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They already lived there. Ah, their new country is where they're absolutely living at right now. When you became a believer, uh, God was planting that flag, that altar, that's saying this is God's place, right? Right there in your house, right there in your city, right there in your job, right? He was saying this is now the Lord's, right? This is new country right here. You are a new resident of a new country even when you live right where you're at. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Because you, every one of us, when in our pagan idolatry, even when we didn't recognize it, you were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's all of us found in Christ Jesus through that redemptive plan of God. We are called then from our unbelieving friends and family and called into a new family. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 34 tells us, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 tells us that those who do the will of God, which would be believing in the Savior as we're commanded to do, spirit-filled, sanctified, suffering, that those who do that will are my brothers and my sisters. That's what Jesus says. We are part of a new family, even though we might live with a bunch of non-believing family members. We are in part of a new family. That's why I so love being at church on Sundays, because this is my family. I can talk to you like I can't talk with my unbelieving family members. After a while, and some of you might have experienced that with unbelieving family members or friends, it just becomes work. It just becomes tiring. You just, and you just run out of things to say. I mean, how often can we talk about sports or the weather? Or where we ate dinner? Right? It just becomes... That, that's why to come in here and talk about the great things of God, this is my family. Right? When we think about that the call of the Lord is potent, what does that mean to me? So what for me? Because the, the call in your life will accomplish exactly what He intended it to do. Whatever is going on in your life in a, as a believer right now is exactly what the Lord wanted to do. There are no accidents. Whether we view it as good, bad, or indifferent, the Lord views it as all good for those who love Him. It is potent and will accomplish everything it is required to do. John 6, 44, I'm pretty sure John mentioned that in Sunday school this morning, but it is good for a reminder. Circle it in your scripture. It says, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It doesn't say, I might raise him up on the last day. It says, I will raise him up on the last day. Our Lord was raised on a cross so that we might be brought to life. We might be born out of the land of the curse and into the land of the true living with our family members. We will be part of that great multitude that is re referenced in Revelation chapter 5, 9. And then the call of the Lord is a blessing. First Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, I have that wrong in the bulletin, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That blessing is you are a new creation. You aren't left in the curse of old. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You are a new creation in the Lord. Romans 8, 1 and 2 and 2 Corinthians 5.21 also tells us that we have been freed from sin. How much more blessed can we be? He has taken that for us. The call of the Lord is life-changing. The call of the Lord is potent. The call of the Lord is a blessing. And I will say this, we are not able to turn back. Because the Lord keeps us and we persevere to the end. We get that confirmation and clarity in our new life because we love the people of God. We get that confirmation and clarity in our life because we seek to obey the Lord's commandments. We get that confirmation and clarity like Abraham got because we trust in the Lord more and more every day. We trust because we read and understand the promises that He has given us. The Holy Spirit 
Himself, giving us clarity to His Word. We live in that Spirit. We love our other family members in God's church, even though we might drive each other crazy at various times. It is true. We plant that flag and that we build that altar every time we declare His name as my Lord and Savior to others around us. The old you is left behind even though sometimes we will fall into sin. The old idolatrous you is left behind. The old false worshiper you is left behind. The old narcissist you is left behind. The old prideful you is left behind. And it's all done by the faith that God has given you. You are no longer defined by your blood family or how you were raised or where you were raised or where you lived or where you went to school or even where you work. If you are in Christ, you are in Abram, Abraham's tribe. The scripture is clear on that. You have been called into a new country, to a new kingdom, to a new people. You are being called home to be with your true father, the Lord through Christ our Lord, who intercedes for us at every moment. There is no turning back. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and Your Word and the, 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 the comfort that it gives us. Please be with us as we are slowly working towards the end of our worship service. Be with us during our communion today with You. We thank You for Your Word. We ask that You are with all those who are here are believers, we ask that you change the hearts of those who might not believe, to soften their hearts, to give them a heart of flesh, to know your gospel through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.